If you want to support our podcast financially, please visit patreon.com slash IIMBSB. Also, email us with questions or ideas at ifimaypodcast at gmail.com. Today's episode will be a little different. We will be speaking with Michael and Christine, a couple who were together for 13 years and have been broken up for the last five. We'll be diving into their story and how they make sense of the relationship and the part they each played in its unraveling. Welcome to If I May Be So Bold, a podcast about relationships. The ones we have with others, the one we have with ourselves. And given that Dan and I are a couple, you're going to be hearing about our relationship too. I'm Dan Epstein, a recording artist, former opera singer, and relational coach. I'm Justin Waring Crane, a therapist, recovering perfectionist, and karaoke star. Christine and Michael met as the two sole writers working on a reality show called Family Forensics, one of those shows where they shine black lights all over the house to uncover like piss and jizz. They bonded over working on this horrible show together and started dating. About two years into their relationship, they moved in together in a town called, you can't make this shit up, New Hope. Michael, who was 37 at the time, had not been married before. Christine, 38 at the time, had two children under the age of four from a previous relationship. Michael and Christine were together 13 years and married nine and a half. Recently, Michael asked Christine if she would ever want to have a deep dive conversation about their relationship. Christine said yes with one condition, that the conversation be recorded. Christine and Michael agreed to let us interview them as they compared notes and reflected on the longest, most significant relationship they've had. Like, so in doing this podcast, Justin and I have both had this experience of people being like, wow, like, I can't believe you guys do this. Like, I can't believe you talk about your relationship um, in a public setting like this. Or like when we've talked, we've had episodes where we're working through something. We've had, you know, really striking feedback about that. That would be really scary for some people. Um, so in having you guys as guests, it feels like, I feel like, uh, I feel like, um, a kinship for the fact that you guys are wanting to delve in, in this way that we also like to delve in. Obviously it's a different story and a different time in the story, but, um, I just want to thank you guys for being up for it. Yeah. I think you guys are really cool for doing this. (laughs) I appreciate that. Yeah, I was so I was on this like mini retreat in the desert with six therapists this weekend. <laughs> so you can imagine how that goes around a fire pit with wine. And this comes up and you know, and I get really sincere, like I'm like, I'm gonna do this podcast with my ex-husband. And it goes like, why? <laughs> but wait, why? Wait, why are you doing that again? <laughs> and um <laughs> 
<laughs> it's it's good. It's good accountability to like reflect on that. And I feel like it's like different things or alternating things at different moments. And initially when Michael asked me to have this kind of conversation, I think part of my response that was like, again, fueled by wine that went, I, yeah, okay, but I want to record it <laughs> because it was like, it was like, I want to witness, like I want to witness somehow, some way. And then mm. I think other times it's like, it's like when you go to couples therapy and you're pretty sure you're the therapist's favorite. It's <laughs> like, I want to be validated. And, um, Wait, do you know that feeling? I mean, I was our therapist's favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about that. <laughs> And also, how many people at the campfire uh, agreed at the end that this was a good idea? <laughs> oh, quickly fleeing from the fact that Christine was the therapist's favorite. We're now shifting. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, they, in the true therapist fashion, they were, you know, validating of me without commenting on the, the nature of the idea. Um, so... Yeah, so that, that, and then also, like, there's then there's the part that's probably, you know, the most significant part for, like, why this is worthwhile, but I I will try to be, like, honest and say it's not the majority percentage that goes, how can, like, I learn about me? Like, how can I grow from understanding what happened in, in our marriage? Um, and then there's another little part in that kind of, like, that's why I'm a therapist that goes, well, if I do this, maybe someone else will learn something that will help them. I'm like, look at you, beautiful young couple. So maybe this will help you not make mistakes we made. Michael, where are you? Oh, sorry. Where am I? Emotionally. Yeah. <laughs> with, with why this? are you here? I, I don't know. Just checking yeah. in. How well, as Christine said, I mean, yeah, she she did uh, time that nicely in, in the retelling. Like I wanted to have this kind of talk, and she was the one that added technology to the talk. Let's record it, um, because I did think that we could both benefit, and I didn't want to just rehash what what you know when things went off the rails or how they did. Uh, but to, to some degree, I just wanted. Um, as I said to her before, and I, and I think we said on the call, like we're, we're, we are still each other's most significant adult relationship, you know, for, for the length of time that we were together and, and the amount of care and love that there was. Um, so I, I would, didn't want to just have that recede and, you know, what I wanted to work through it, but, but this is uh, to grow as a human being, you know, I, I want to grow. I really do. I, I was steadfast. I, I want to be friends with Christine forever. And I wanted to be stronger. Um, whether that's, you know, and that, whether that's something that she wants or that we wanted to the same degree, I, I can't say. And, uh, I think I was unrealistic you know, in the beginning of the separation about that for sure. Um, so, but here we are five years later. So hopefully we're at a place where, you know, we both had relationships since then. So I think we both probably see the benefit, um, of this kind of talk with or without recording. But we're delighted to be with you. Yeah. And a little bit nervous. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so that was sort of the headspace that you 
were in when you sort of proposed um, having a conversation like this to Christine? Yes. Um, because, well, then there's also the layer, and I don't know, uh, there's also the layer of, you know, my, her two sons, my two stepsons, who are technically not my stepsons, you know, in legality, uh, but which, which I still consider to be. So, so you know, it's it's three different. There's all sorts of triangulation moving forward, and, and what does that all look like? So, um, yeah, my my headspace was I I, I want to be active in the in all of those relationships. And by being active, I want to, you know, face up to my shortcomings and do repair work and strengthen moving forward. Is that enough platitudes? I don't know. Michael and Christine started to get to know each other at a time when Christine was just getting out of her previous relationship. They had a shared appreciation of dark humor and an easy rapport. Also, there were certain sliding doors moments in their respective histories. She went to Tufts, he went to BU. They both spent time in Prague in the early 90s. I guess if you if you go back in your memory of that, like, do you remember starting starting to get to know each other? Like, was this relationship, was this new partner, like, different from the type of people you had dated in the past? Or had you, had you tended to date certain types of people? Um, anything about that? What do I have to say? I had dated nobody like Christine before. Uh, I would say that's that's true uh, in many, many good and delightful ways. Um, I probably had some patterns, I think, um, that I wasn't fully aware of. Um, and then speaking really talking about relationships with her, I started to become aware of that. And what I liked, um, is that she challenged me in like ways, I mean, in good ways. And, um, and, and yet we, we, like we, there were lots of similarities, but we, we sort of complemented each other very well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that fully answered the question. Do you want to jump in on your types? Yeah, you know, Michael was not my type. And in fact, when he, I remember the first day he walked in, you were late and shocker. Right. And kind of disorganized. He had like a messenger bag that was flapping open. And, <laughs> and, um, and you just, you look, I mean, and he is a nice looking guy. And, <laughs> and also I just was like, no, <laughs> like, <laughs> because he just didn't, he didn't have any, have the the clear badness on him. <laughs> no, that was <laughs> that was not my type. Um, Wait, can you can you say more about that? He didn't have the clear clear badness on him. I really want to know. He seemed like a genuinely nice guy. Maybe uh, a little bit of like a like a boyish man vibe. Like he kind of had this youthful quality. Um, he didn't. Well, I think he's like, he didn't have like the studied kind of cool that I would go for mm. usually. Um, a little more disheveled. More disheveled and brainy. 
like <laughs> like like tall Woody Allen without all the bad stuff we now know about Woody Allen, like some of that vibe. Thanks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Absent-minded professor vibes. Yeah. So no, initially I didn't. I didn't feel that at all. I felt like I could be fr- we could be friends, and um, but I didn't feel at risk because I a pretty good history of, um, you know, this might be other questions, but I understand more about my own attachment style and my avoidance style and kind of really looking for people who pretty clearly couldn't meet my needs or Mm -hmm. my, you know, kind of pay attention to really see me or my emotional needs. Um, because I just didn't expect that. And I thought I had to work harder. Um, so really mm. that's what it meant to be in a relationship. So it was different to allow it to happen. And then you kind of went from Woody Allen more to like a John Cusack. And that was a lot better. <laughs> then, then it got more attractive. So, okay. It's just for sense making. So like Michael was kind of witnessing, um, you know, your transition out of, out of that relationship and, uh, there there must have been like an energy like a a safe and like um connective thing going on yeah so i think i could say it essentially like you know so i was coming out of my first marriage with very young children and working crazy hours and trying to juggle and figure out how to manage my life and michael became a safe person to really be vulnerable with mm-hmm and that was really new for me, a new feeling. Yeah, that sounds really a powerful. Lot, like a lot of safety for me to, to to be that way. And that was like a, that was like some kind of like country I hadn't visited before. More like John Cusack than Woody Allen, right? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Okay, good. good so our references are too boomer. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. They're too Gen X. They're too Gen X. That's right. Yeah, come on. <laughs> I remember in high school, I had this teacher who would always talk about how attracted she was to John Cusack and say anything. And it was like, we're like 15. My mom was always talking about John Cusack constantly. I All am right. mother. <laughs> <laughs> and you can hear Michael's voice on this interview right now. He's got this nice, deep, soothing voice. So I would mm-hmm. always have these long phone calls. And he would just listen and be there for me. Yeah. And um, and what was that called? And so I called him the jazz DJ. <laughs> That's funny. I like that. And Michael, had you been in long-term relationships before that? Yes, I had um, two, yeah, probably at least two fairly serious ones. Um one which one was a three-year relationship, a little bit of on and off again, and uh, I guess I was about three years, no, about two years out of that one. Honestly, when we met, um, and I get the big, uh, the other separating factor that that made this situation unique, obviously, was that Christine had the two young boys. Um, at the time. So that is something yeah. I had not experienced before. And that, that was a lot of fun, but it was, you know, diff- different, different, not difficult, but, but, uh, you know, a, a curveball I hadn't planned for in life, but it was delightful. Yeah. What was that like going 
into that relationship with Christine and also then knowing it's a package deal, getting these two really young kids. Right. It was, um, it was something that I was not, uh, unfamiliar with as I was raised by a single mother. My, my sister and I were raised by a single mom. Uh, my parents got divorced when I was young. So, as far as that aspect of it went, I was, you know, comfortable, uh, but obviously I'd never been in the, uh, the adult role, uh, but it was great. I mean, I loved the boys immediately and still do, of course. And, um, but, it, but it provided for a, a different um, relationship dynamic and a different set of circumstances uh, that I've been here to for um, used to. I won't use the word here to four ever again. Sorry. <laughs> I imagine that's a big decision, right? To like, to introduce uh, the boys to like a new partner. Um, and so I guess I'm just curious about like the evolution of like, Michael becoming like a fixture in their lives um, and like the relationship, therefore sort of like taking on um, another like, like level of depth. Yeah. I think once it, it turned into a, a romantic relationship, it got very serious very quickly and it, it, it felt secure and Michael, it didn't take too long. I know by like, I think that first Christmas that we were together, I had Michael over with his mom and his sister. Like I met them, I met the kids. And so that was however many months in. And everybody was enchanted. And I still very much love his mom and sister. If anything, I was ready to like be like... (laughs) move faster and I think Michael was more he had mm-hmm. he had his own house and he was more mm-hmm. like slowing of the roll until it just kind of seemed to make sense that we were moving together sure about your, your experience of it I think so although I think I met your mother before you met mine if I'm not mistaken yeah we came over at Thanksgiving we stayed in the guest room and I don't know, you did something like you emptied the dishwasher. So my mother was like, this is the most amazing He's man God. ever. <laughs> Look at how tall he is. And he emptied the dishwasher. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> like he reached something on a high shelf and emptied the dishwasher. Wow. The whole package. And there was also a bit of a narrative in my family that was like, oh, to take on this single mother with these two young children. Mm, right. What a saint. Oh, Wow. Yeah. You know, my mom, my mom actually, my mom's parents, um, had that same attitude, even though she wasn't a single mother, they were just grateful that anyone would choose to marry her, you know? Right. Oh, really? So messed up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Did you, how did that affect you, Christine? Do you feel like you kind of internalized that or what was that like? I was like, okay, yeah, lottery ticket, sure. Likes my kids. You know, I, I thought I figured it out. I 
repaired all my unfinished business and now I'm going to have a healthy and secure attachment. I Yay. win. <laughs> mm, everything worked out. Yes, I like that story very much. And I have to say, among the mom world, you know, as things went on and you're very much like when you have young kids, you're all in this like community where everybody's up in everybody's business. We were in a charter school. It was like very, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's there's a a level of like kind of gossip and curiosity on the other moms to be like, how did you do it? You didn't have to be single and struggle for years. You you found somebody with these young kids. So I kind of felt like I felt pretty mm. proud of myself. Yeah. Wasn't that validating to be, have like these other people who are your like similar, like your peers be like, you won. Yeah. And Michael brought the kids to school and he participated. He, he was very much in that world at that time. And I, on the flip side, and I, I will share, I mean, I know my single guy friends when we were dating, they're like, you're why are you dating a woman that has two kids? And that is, wow. I mean, and not, I mean, not full of judgment, but, but, but certainly a degree of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that is perhaps why we, I went a little slow or it's interesting mm-hmm. to hear Christine say that, that I was the one that slowed that down in the beginning. I'm not, I'm not recalling completely differently, but as we're talking about memory, I mean, I think we People didn't want to rush headlong into moving in together. Yeah. So was that impact? Was that impactful, Michael? When your guy friends would come with that energy towards you? No, I don't think it was. Um, I, I think it helped me in, in any. Perhaps, perhaps what it did is is made me take what I was doing that much more seriously and be, be more, not measured, but be, be more, you know, be more in the moment and be, it won't be more in the moment, but also really think about the impact that it had, you know, for not myself, but for Christine and for the boys. Although Michael had been in a few relationships, each lasting a handful of years, dating someone with kids was a new experience for him. They describe a family story early on in their time together. It was the first time that we went to to visit Michael, I brought the boys over his house. And one was like, Can I hold your trumpet? And Michael was like, Sure, little boy. And then it was like, Clatter, clatter, clank. Oh no. But it was a test because, you know, he still accepted us after that. So that's right. I wonder, Christine, if um, in addition to your peers and your family being like, Oh my God, he's amazing because he emptied the dishwasher and he's tall. Was there also, um, because he was a bachelor and maybe like of a certain age, dare I say that there was like, like, you're going to be the one that like makes him settle down. And like, that's like a, a big thing too. Like, I just feel like that's really like, praised in the culture to be like, he, I thought he was never going to settle down, but I don't know if that was the story about you, Michael. Like, did you have that reputation as like, I don't know if Michael's ever going to settle down. No, I don't think it was that. I, I was pretty much a serial monogamous and I was looking for someone. No, I think in, in my case, it was just the, the, the strength of Christine and uh, of our friendship and, and the way that our, relationship built very organically and naturally 
um, really was what compelled me to move forward. I wanted to be with her. Although he often spent the night at Christine's, Michael kept his own place for a while. However, after two years of being together, Christine and Michael sold their places and bought a house together in Northeast L.A. Yeah, I would say that early chapter, like that whole chapter in those early years in that house, um, in general, were pretty happy and pretty, um, I don't know, they were pretty healthy. And I've scanned it to try to be like, what was I missing? <laughs> what did I miss? And I think there are little things here and there that maybe like a more astute observer of like tending to the relationship might have picked up, but I don't, I don't come up with a lot. Like what? So like what? We would, we would have little conflicts, but I don't even know if they were in that period. You don't mean Michael, where we would kind of run up against, uh, I would say like patterns that got worse over time, but it's a pattern. Maybe best described as like um, conflicting subjective realities. And like, and so Michael, mm-hmm. like during March or black or right. Or I said this and you did that, or it was this and me being like, who cares what we said? It's all good. This is how I feel. And that like that, and us not finding a way to really, unpack that and um get to some common ground it would just kind of die down we carry on and there was enough good stuff that it was easy to do that uh, were these those little things and maybe i don't know if you would be able to f- like give an example of what that might have looked like christine or michael <laughs> I, I probably can, but I can't say exactly when I started. But we did have a recurring fight about the laundry basket or the laundry baskets in our house. And the laundry basket clearly wasn't about the laundry basket. Um, but it would be, it, it definitely was a stand-in for something. How? What was the surface level fight about the laundry basket? Didn't like allocate the laundry baskets in a way that, made sense to Michael and when he would go to do laundry there would never be an empty laundry basket because I'd leave all like the clean laundry in the laundry basket (laughs) and so he came into a relationship with his own laundry basket and it was always full of other stuff (laughs) and I would be but it's the towels use the towels or I'm like anyway uh, and I was like, but if then you don't like it, then fold it, dump it on the floor. I don't know. And he was like, but that's not the point. And that would be a recurring, a recurring argument. That is a true uh, recollection that Christine has, but, and it re- right. It wasn't about the laundry basket. Uh, I mean, I would definitely say I was somebody that was used to living on my own for my pretty much entire adult life. So it was definitely part of that. And then I would, I would submit that some of it was um, not the laundry basket itself, but what, what, I mean, and I, I would, I would like to point out this time that we had many uh, happy and good years together as Christine has said as well. And like, it's not like mm-hmm. things started derailing right away, but there were things that we could have and should have addressed um, and just in communication style. And I definitely think part of mine was, not being able to express 
uh, myself in terms of a family unit that, you know, I basically got instant family. You know, I, I went from one man and two cats, uh, to one man, one woman, two boys and two cats. And it was a lot. Mm. Three. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That is right. Poor Henry. Let's pour one out for Henry. So in terms of communicating about our emotions and our needs, um, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, where I should have been and I'm still evolving in that way. So I would, I would tend to internalize. I was conflict avoidant for sure. So I would get irked about little things in the house and rather than just rationally talking about them, I would let them fester and I am sorry. Mm hmm. So in that dynamic, Christine, did you find yourself having to be the one to like, to make that communication happen or was the communication not happening? I didn't really know how to make the communication happen. And my own, you know, we both have like a conflict avoidance part to us. Uh, I, but I will tend to get more upset or maybe go into like more of a collapse than Michael would withdraw. And mm-hmm. that's how it would like play out. And I think I, I was really, I really aspired to have a relationship that was based on respect, like respectful communication and not, you know, not full of volatility. I'd had that kind of relationship in the past. I'd witnessed that growing up. And so I kind of, I like had that goal and that aspiration but I didn't really know how to like share hard things respectfully. I could share like, you know, yeah, um, you, know, but, you know, what do you want for dinner respectfully? But um, like when it was deep stuff or, or things that were about like asserting my needs, I just didn't know how to do it. So I just wouldn't do it. And mm-hmm. that, that's on me and that combo uh, you know I think that's what built over time between us for sure yeah um, right yeah just not addressing um, and so I just kind of spiraled and went inter- I internalized too but I kind of internalized like feeling mm-hmm. um, eventually kind of feeling like abandoned so these things are kind of these seeds are kind of being sown of some sort of not finding each other um but like in general in terms of the story of the relationship like in your own sense making in this period was it like were you feeling like oh this relationship is you know very successful or was it kind of like up and down or what can you say about that right yeah no i i think we definitely thought it was successful i mean we were happy. We were supporting each other. Um, I think even with some of the conflict avoidance we just talked about, we are still like good friends to each other, kind of supportive of each other's external lives for the most part. Um, and happy to be with each other. That's, that's how I felt for, for, you know, years. Yeah, probably two thirds, maybe of the time we were married, even. Um, right. But I think other factors happen. So there was these communication 
uh, like patterns and like our, our unfinished business, right? Like we bring our unfinished business in and it hadn't really presented itself as a problem in those first several years. And then a whole combination of things happened. The kids were getting older. And as kids grow up, you know, they trigger our own stuff about our own unresolved child parts. In this time period, Christine made a major career shift going back to school while Michael supported them continuing to work in Hollywood. Christine describes this period of her life as a personal reckoning, getting more clarity and becoming more intentional with their choices. Michael would go through his own reckoning a few years later. And I think also, as you said, the boys were getting older and we, we definitely, I would encourage blended families. And we've talked about this too, that we should have done therapy from the start because even as, as two people that uh, are fairly, well, I don't want to overstate it in my case, but fairly emotionally intelligent, Christine, for sure. We didn't, we didn't have the, the talks about parenting and co-parenting that we should have. And it, 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 because it was like a slow, slow drift, uh, on the mindsets there. And she would try and carve me some space and parents solo sometimes, but other times I would be involved and we didn't really see eye to eye and be definitely became more defensive uh, on both sides. And we didn't have clear um, and trusting conversations in, in that space for sure. Yeah. There was an increasing amount of conflict around that, that area. And I felt very stuck in the middle between my kids and Michael and I I come from a long line of women peacemakers and I suddenly was mm. playing that part and you know it is a losing game and uh it was it was really hard but yeah that was certainly something I had I an internalized yeah. part for me to try to make everything nice and still you know we can yeah. still salvage, you know, dinner, even though it's burnt, like that kind of feeling. Like I was, mm. I was trying that. Mm. Um, yeah, and I felt pretty helpless. I felt pretty helpless to make it better. And I did something like I, when we moved into the house, knowing Michael kind of inherited this instant family, you know, even the way we set it up, I was like, okay, he has to have an office. And that is his office. He's going to have his space and his things and he can go in his office and I will let him have that because that's really important while I'm out here parenting and raising the children. And while I do think it was important that he had that space, like the, that divide ultimately wasn't healthy. Could you say a little more about that? I think it made Michael feel kind of isolated from the rest of us. Like he was the, the fourth wheel out as the kids got older and we were this unit and we would mm-hmm. be out here. And it made me feel like he didn't want to be with us and he would rather go in his office and like be among his books and piles of papers and mm. um, then rather than participate in their family. Definite pre-order tendencies. And uh, yeah, no, that, that is, that is certainly painfully true. It resonates that way. And I tried to make my office space open to Christine and the boys, but sometimes the vibe just certainly wasn't there. Um, and I think I would definitely, again, advocate for people, uh, 
of blended families to, to sort of have those talks and, and we didn't have talks either way about that kind of thing. And so we, we got into some bad habits that way, I would say. And, and yeah, I can't believe we didn't, we actually didn't do some counseling, like something about the blended family thing and the co-parenting part mm. sooner um, or when the kids were younger. Like knowing what I know now, I'm like, what were we thinking? That was, that yeah. was kind of big misstep. And yeah. part of, I think, what made it hard, hard for us to like really like form this coherent us. Like there was me and Michael, there was me and the boys, mm. there was all of us sometimes, but there are ways that like Michael and I never, like it didn't become us all encompassing us around our whole life. Michael's separateness within the family dynamic took a toll on everyone. With the boys getting older, he struggled with how he was viewed by family members, sometimes feeling like a villain. Yeah. So, I mean, that's complicating factors, but I, I do <laughs> think that. Uh, the challenge yeah. of co-parenting and the blended family and the stepdad thing. And on, and on top of that, like stepdad to adolescent boys and like dads and sons, that's the whole thing. Mothers and daughters, that's the whole thing. It brings up all our stuff. And uh, it got messy and it got really hard. And I got yeah. really sad. When, that was kind of my response is I got yeah. really sad. Yeah, the last couple of years were pretty unhappy, and there's a lot of conflict. I was certainly probably depressed, and um, but we were in couples therapy, and you know we were ostensibly trying. That's the fit. the last therapist is the one who I'm sure was I was his favorite. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I was hoping a male therapist might be better we had a female therapist before. Um, Christine, you were hoping a male therapist would be better for you too? For Michael. Oh. Mm-hmm. That he might engage more in the therapeutic process or feel more trust. Mm-hmm. Or not like we were ganged up against him and the female therapist. And did the therapist sort of like facilitate or just sort of like guide you to through the decision of of deciding to break up or... What did that, what was that process like for you guys with the no, therapist? We had kind of stopped. I think the therapist, the thing that he did say that I think was right was to kind of say to Michael, like, are you in? Like, you're in or you're out. But before we could really work, like, are you in? And Michael was kind of like, um, yeah, I was put in, but I'm not quite sure. I want to be in, but I'm not quite like, it was essentially, I think, kind of late. We were kind of too, maybe uh-huh. too late. But Michael wasn't ready to say right. too late. Mm. And we kind of stayed in this place mm-hmm. for a while. And then that was rough. That was rough. Mm. That was a rough mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. or whatever it was. Yes. Mm. And I, we had two separate couples therapists over the past two or over the last two and a half years or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I also, for the first time, was going to therapy on my own. So it definitely very much was a combo platter and I, I was trying to understand if I was unhappy with myself <laughs> mostly or unhappy with the, you know, with the family situation. Uh, and that was very difficult to sort through for me. And was that something that you were, 
being vocal about in some way all along? Or was there a moment when you sort of expressed your dissatisfaction or questioning of Um, whether things were working? No, I think it was a case of being slowly becoming more frustrated with my own, with my own life as a person in the world, as like what I've told people, Christine and I were in couples therapy and I I distinctly remember sitting on the couch and I I had a a great epiphany, which was I have to get my master's degree. Like I know that that I, I love kids and I want to teach. And that hit me because it's not that I was avoiding doing the work, uh, about us. Although I was, I, I definitely didn't work as hard as I should have. And I wasn't as honest as I should have been because to Christine's point, I think we may have just been a little too late. I felt like I would just be hurtful in the space that I was in. I just, I didn't feel very fulfilled, Mm -hmm. uh, personally, professionally, Mm -hmm. you know, family, all those things. And, and I had this grad school revelation and I think on some level I was probably resentful. Like I helped her and she, you know, she, she got her master's in social work and became a therapist. And I was so happy to be able to, as a partner who loved her and seeing her path helped to help her do that. And I felt on some level resentful, even though I hadn't expressed any uh, desire. Like I, I was, I was mad at her for not finding my own path when clearly that was on me. Mm-hmm. but it sort of festered in wrong ways. Totally. Thanks for saying it that way. I never heard it that way exactly. Thanks. I never said it that way before, but yeah, I'm sorry. Um, Christine, so when this was changing, like the energy was shifting and Michael was kind of struggling in these ways, um, with his own stuff, were you, was that, was there a lot of fear there or was there, were you hoping it would end? Like, where were you at? So I think I really cycled between like fear and disbelief and denial and, and compartmentalization. Like I just was like, like you know, jujitsu knife, like chopping it up all the time. And, uh, because I really couldn't believe it because in my narrative, I had, you know, I kind of, I I'm stubborn and I held to this story. Like we were good. I believed in our origin story and I didn't believe it could change. I didn't believe, I didn't, I couldn't really believe Michael's feelings would change about me. And that's not about him. That's because my, like the journey I took to get to the place where I fully showed up and trusted. And like before Michael, I never, nobody ever broke up with me in my life ever. That's, and that's not because I'm so awesome. That's because I'm so good at like dodging uh, relationships essentially, or getting into ones that wouldn't have been like couldn't meet my needs. So I'd have, I'd, I knew there was a time limit. Um, so I like decided this is the relationship I'm in and it's going to go to the distance that like that could change out of my control. I, I just couldn't accept it. Like couldn't be possible. Like mm-hmm. I really 
when I look back at it, it was very hard for me to comprehend that. And then when I did, so when it did sink in, it just was devastating. I was so, I was just really, um, you know, I was really distraught. And so then I was going to denial, it's not happening or stick it in a box like function and yeah. um, kind of cycling it out of those things. But I still had trouble kind of confronting it with Michael. I mean, eventually it came out and then that's where there was a lot of confrontation, I would say, uh, about a lot of it, but it, it wasn't particularly productive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The confrontation wasn't productive. It was too damaged at that point, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and maybe we could have, I mean, sure, we would have done the work earlier, but more honest earlier, or, or confront, yeah, confronted mm-hmm. the roots of some of the problems, I think. That's another big thing I've learned. Yeah. Yeah, so then I, you know, I think then, and we were having this conversation five years later because, you know, probably for at least a good two years, I leaned into being pretty indignant. Like I was pretty self-righteous and, and there, you know, there's some maybe feel for that, but I just, I was just so dumbstruck. Like I was just like, I had, and the kids were at a tough age. The kids were going in the ninth grade and 12th grade and and Michael was out and it was, it would just, was, it, the disbelief kind of continued even after he left, like this is really happening, but it just, you know, and then it was just kind of survival mode for a long time. And I stayed mad for a pretty long time. I mean, I moved a mile and a half away with, with your help and I was doing school pickups and then later, and then later at your request school drop-offs because I, mm-hmm. I, my head was so far up myself that I didn't realize how in need of that you were. So you had to ask for that, but I was still trying to have a sense of normalcy with the boys, which was not super effective. No, it wasn't. Mm. It wasn't a normal normalcy. And I desperately needed help, but I was pissed. So I was like, I'm not going to ask for help. Like I, I spent a couple of months of dropping off both kids at different schools in different directions, like an hour and a half trip some days, like trying to, they were always late too, um, because I just didn't want to ask them mm. if I was mad. I was mad. Right. Yeah. I just going back a little bit, I really relate to what you were saying, Christine, about like how powerful the story of the connection is. And like how intense it is to kind of reckon with it if it's changing in real time or if, if it's like, it's a real loss. It's like a death to have some of that shift. Yeah. That's a really good way to put it, Dan. It felt like grief. I remember like, yeah, at the end of the marriage, but feeling grief, just like some nights, just, yeah, it was grief, total consuming grief. Like this thing is dying in front of us. And so how did you kind of make the decision then to, to break up? Well, I can tell. Sure. Well, my, my memory of it is Michael was, 
obviously unhappy. I mean, so clearly unhappy. And I knew he didn't want to hurt me. And so he wasn't saying things because he didn't want to hurt me. But everybody was in pain. It wasn't effective. And it was like Memorial Day weekend, uh, 2017. And, you know, my experience is like, he was just awful, like so awful and unhappy. And the energy and the aura was just sparky and dark. And so I said, do you even want to be here? Like, maybe you should leave. And it was like, I gave him like a, a life raft and was like, I think that's a good idea. Like mm-hmm. it was like, I opened the, the, right. the path. <laughs> I was like, I showed him the path and he left. Mm-hmm. He left. And I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. Wow. Right. It was very painful. It was, uh, I am ashamed that I didn't have that conversation months earlier and or, or a version of that conversation. And because at that point it just, you know, it was such as a slow, horrible, uh, slow motion and, and then, and then just a ripping off. And I always, you know, we took the boys to a movie and then told them after that, after the school year ended. So, so we actually lived in limbo for three weeks or something like that. No, yeah, it was like six weeks, I think, before I reached out, maybe. No, but I mean, before we told them, we had the conversation, and and then we, then I was still there for like two or three more weeks before we told them, because we didn't want to tell them until school was over. Um, Yeah, we we waited to tell them. So we took them to an inappropriate movie and Goldstone, and then we told them. (laughs) What movie? Baby Driver. Baby Driver. (laughs) I I always saw that in theaters. It was a good soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> Very That's... weird to watch. Sit there watching a movie, knowing what's going on. The kids are totally traumatized <laughs> by that movie. Now they never want to see it again. <laughs> Maybe one day. Wow. Well, Kevin Spacey too. So. Oh right. 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 But once we decided, we started getting along really well. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Tell us about that. I think it was naming it, it was such a relief. After their separation, it took a little time for the next emotional dominoes to fall. I think I can help that. I think I can help the edges of that one. Um, And we did buy the book Conscious Uncoupling, (laughs) which is not as obnoxious as it sounds. (laughs) It has some good exercises in there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I, we, again, without explicitly stating what is this about, Michael moving out. What is the nature of this separation? My story was this is a child separation and he's moving into my friend's friend's place a mile and a half away. So we can have some distance and see what happens and maybe we continue working on things and that it wasn't like a conclusive move. And a couple of months after Michael moved out, it became clear to him to, to me that to him it was conclusive and he had moved on and he was moving on oh. and that was kind of the delayed like anvil to my head oh. and that's that's probably you know that was the, the beginning of the, the big healthy anger phase whoa okay where, yeah I, I felt um like kind of a delayed re- reaction to what was really happening 
Whoa. So for you, Christine, you were like, we're trying out separating and taking space and seeing how it goes. But for you, Michael, it was like, no, we've, we've separated. This is like kind of a permanent thing. Yes. I think I, because I was very much not good at conflict or dealing with it and and saying hard truths that I was not vocalizing those kind of feelings. Yes. And that's, and that's horrible to realize that that's, you know, you, you, you kid yourself and you think that you're protecting this other person that you care about Mm. and that you still care about, even though you, you feel like it's over and you, you're doing them an injustice and that's just not, you know, it's not the way it should be. And I definitely have a lot of deep regret over that. Mm. I really relate to that. I relate to trying to spare people's feelings, but then ultimately making things worse (laughs) by trying to, you know, avoid the conflict or not say the hard thing. And then it's even more painful. Yeah. I really relate to that. Was, is there a memory that stands out to you guys as the, cause you guys now five years since breaking up, seems like you have, you know, this friendly rapport, like, does it feel like, was there a memory of like when it first felt like, oh, like we are going to be friends again or we're going to be friends in a new way like did you guys like have coffee or like dinner like what was the first sort of moment where you were like we could be we could have like a a good relationship still so so after I moved out Christine turned a room in the house into uh an Airbnb for, to help for income to keep her and the boys in the house. And I half, half jokingly, but half seriously suggested as I was in residential flux that perhaps I would move in there and like her, uh, this, the gaze that this, <laughs> the, the, the raised eyebrow of disbelief was, uh, <laughs> was very memorable. So I, I will let you answer, Christine. I just wanted to set that, that context That's funny, yeah. there. We did not live together like um, right. HBO sitcom. It's going to be a classic sitcom. Right. right. Um, it took a while. I leaned hard into my, like, I was abandoned. I had these kids. I had to take care of this house. I had to run the Airbnb. I had, you know. Russian rock bands living in the basement periodically. No. Um, I, had, riot. I had Michael's, I wish I had, um, I had Michael's cat who was part of our family. It made sense for the cat to stay in the home. I had the cat. The cat was very unhappy that Michael left. Aww. So um, it wasn't until I, while well, we, well, my anger died down after a couple of years and I was able to, soften and like you know we would still talk because I care about Michael's family and I, I cared about Michael still I still wanted to know what he was doing and he he did go back to school he started back to school actually when we were still together which I supported and was happy about and um uh it wasn't until 
probably selling that house because we owned this house together. And I remained in that house till my youngest son went to college. That was what we agreed on. And, um, and it was a lot to take care of. And it was an easy, like, resentment sparker for me to be like, if Michael wouldn't leave, I wouldn't be having to figure out how to cut this tree down by myself mm-hmm. or, you know, um, that kind of stuff. So there was something wrapped up in that, that that was the home we bought and shared together. And um, we being relieved of that, like when we sold it last year, was a big shift. Well, I think we were friendly before. We were friendly, we were kind of collaborated through the whole process of selling it. And um, that was a big thing for me. So I felt like now we're finally, like we are separated. We are disentangled from that last remnant of our past relationship. And so now whatever relationship we have can be like from a blank fleet. And I'd say that- it Reminds me, I have, some, I have some mail for you. I have some mail with your name. In the past year, we've been familiar. Um, that probably have been since we separated. And we had a dinner back in the spring to kind of celebrate selling the house. We did. And that is when this whole idea came up. <laughs> That's true. I think it's like you guys are hoping to take what you learned from your relationship into your next romantic relationships. Right. So how I know we've already touched on some of this, like go to therapy sooner or, you know, try to uh, communicate about things. But I guess if there's like one thing that you you learned from your relationship with each other that you're going to take as you, you know, move into your next significant relationship, how would you guys sum that up? I think, I think uh, like I, I, I self-diagnosed myself as a pleaser long ago um, as a child of a single mom. And like I was the, el- the eldest child and I, I just tried to go along to get along in a lot of ways and just try and keep a lower profile. So I, I think what I've, what I learned and, uh, we, I, we, we talked, Christine said we, you know, we, she bought, or we bought conscious uncoupling the book as we got along. And there was a great poll quote in there from a, a female scientist, a biologist. Doesn't matter her gender, does it? No, there's a great <laughs> poll quote in the book and conscious uncoupling from, a, I don't think it's Margaret Mead. It's somebody like Margaret Mead. She said, uh, I've had three marriages and I consider them all to be successful. And that's definitely something I very much consider uh, to be true in this case for me with Christine and myself. What the the painful part is, is that I I learned that because I was a pleaser and I tried to avoid conflict when when things started to go um, awry, whether it was parenting or whether how we were interacting with each other. I wouldn't, I wouldn't raise flags about it and wouldn't have a healthy conversation about it with her. Instead, I just sort of internalized them. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I think she, she would acknowledge that she sort of did some of the same thing. We'd sort of reach you to our corners and then we got along well in many other ways. So we kept 
plowing forward. And we were, we were still to our eyes happier than other couples we saw. We, like I would say mm-hmm. we, we were married nine years and you know, the last couple of years were rough, but even six and seven years in, we would do that thing where you're talking after a party and you go, how is that couple still together? Well, you know, you'd see, right. we never presented uh, poorly and, you know, maybe until yeah. the very end, but like, because we genuinely, you know, like each other, think we're funny, smart, care about the other person's opinion and feelings. So I, uh, yeah, my, my big takeaway is that I need to, um, stand up and, not stand up for myself, but stand up for, or, and, and stand, that's, that's probably not the best word choice is what I need to learn is that, um, just because I have a, a minor issue with my partner, that doesn't mean that it is going to become a major issue. And mm-hmm. I think that's what would be let happen. And that's something I did. I regret, you know, if we turn back yeah. the clock, which we can't, then, uh, maybe we would, we would not be on your podcast today. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I really relate to that. It really has taken me a long time to learn to like just allow myself to be known even in a dysregulated state. You know, it takes it takes a lot to get even get to that place, I found. Yeah, Dan's Dan's been working to try to be less people pleasing. I mean, me too. Definitely, but it's hard. It's hard. Cuz yeah. it it works really well. In certain ways <laughs> for a long time. Yeah. Can get you, can get you a lot of places. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I very much relate to that and what you said, Dan, too. Um, and I think I just didn't, I, I think I, like I learned to, to slow down and, and, you know, like I've, I have changed a lot and I've grown a lot of ways that, and have a lot of like tools and ways of looking at things I didn't have in through a good part of our marriage. So I would slow it down and really look at and try to like do an inward, you know, try to be introspective and understand what I'm really feeling, which isn't a ha- which is a habit I've, you know, been trying to learn probably in the last 10 years, never having done it in my life. I went to a therapist um, when I was going through my first divorce, I went to a therapist and she said, you know, what are you feeling? Can you name your feelings? And I was like, what, 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 huh? <laughs> Wait, there's someone behind me. I, I don't, you're talking to me. Like <laughs> That just was not, um, a, a language I had, um, access to, and I can still struggle with it because it's pretty easy for me to go outward and I've made a profession out of it. And so we leaned into that capacity for other people, but, um, yeah, so really trying to understand it. And I think making time and making space for, um, like, choosing to speak up, like, choosing to bring up the hard things, like, and feeling safe that that, that can um, actually, like, mold or help the relationship grow, that it's not a negative necessarily, that it can actually be for the benefit of the growth of the, mm. the us of the thing between trying, but I still have a pretty big guard. I'm pretty guarded. That's yeah. right. Pretty guarded. And I'm working on my guard. It's very hard to be known. Mm. Like you said, to be known in yeah. a dysregulated state, I would say to be known period. Yes. Mm-hmm. So. so we have one more question, which is about us. Um, 
and we want to know like what advice you would give us um being that we've moved in together pretty recently and are you know trying to do right by ourselves and each other amidst ups and downs of our own and we definitely like don't need any prompting to go to therapy because I feel like we went to therapy after our first date because we're like so obsessed with therapy. We're like, we should see a couple of therapists. <laughs> That's exaggerating. But I will say personally, that is why I'm here. I love you guys. I love <laughs> you. I remember before you did the podcast, like getting dinner with Justin or something. And she's like, so I went to therapy with Dan. I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. We're doing therapy now. God, you're amazing. Mm. How did you get so wise? How did you get so wise, young ones? Um, So I love how intentional you've been and, you know, and getting to hear it by listening to you, like your process about moving in and how thoughtful you've been and, and like your real respect for having space, uh, individual space and, you know, and not having this idea like, well, now we have to be together all the time. And if we're not, there's something mm-hmm. wrong with us. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's so wise. So my advice would probably be like, as you move forward and if you decide to start a family, that's going to be your whammy. Like that's going to be your whole new like territory mm-hmm. navigate because of the way it changes the relationship. Um, and really thinking about how you, and I, I might be overstepping, but really thinking about how you would want to co-parent and really truly doing it, I think can be an amazing thing when I see couples to do that. And I think it's a whole a new way of growing your relationship. You know, it's a little bit of like the experience that my when I had about, you know, obviously different and with stepchildren and, um, but we still didn't really, we didn't like consider the concept really. What if we co-parented? Like what that might mean for us. Right. And I think it probably would have been more empowering for Michael and that would have been a good mm-hmm. thing. And it would have been maybe relieved me of some of the endless toil and, you know, mm-hmm. like overwhelming the work. So that would have been good for us too. And also talk about the laundry. I think you two should talk about <laughs> okay. paper, laundry Don't basket, cleaning the screen. Okay. Make sure you have two laundry baskets and we don't do. share them ever. We don't. For the most part, we don't. I, I think our version of that is um, the person who answers this question correctly is going to be my favorite from the episode. But, um, you know, you you have a dish. It's It's dirty, right? And the food is like, it's not coming off with just a little rinse. Okay. It's kind of, it's going to need a really, you got to put it to soak (laughs) for a while. Okay. Got to get a good soak going. And you just, you leave it to soak for a while, like maybe even overnight sometimes, maybe even for a couple weeks sometimes. (laughs) Uh, That's totally normal and cool. Christine, I am Justin's favorite. Did you two talk before we got on? I am a soaker. I was a soaker. I was a super soaker. This is a literal quote from Christine. Soaking is not a thing. So I 
I'm the favorite after all this. This That's is great. That's so funny. That's so funny. It's so <laughs> unexpected because you and Dan are both earth signs and me and Christine are both fire signs. Um, and yeah, Dan is just like horrified by me soaking dishes as his, his little Virgo Dan heart is like going is into like <laughs> cardiac arrest. Wow. So yeah, soaking is cop out. <laughs> It's very yeah. effective. It's very effective. <laughs> yeah, nothing else will do to get the crust off. <laughs> cool. Thank, thank you, so, you much. so much. And that's our show. Thanks for joining us. Our music is by Nightlight. We self-produce this podcast, so please subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps. So